0: Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. The remarkable history of Drummond House told by Grattan de Courcy Wheeler. I'm Maurice O'Keefe and I first met Grattan in 2009 while I was researching for the Irish Country House collection. And I met him at his family's estate in Drummond near Carberry in County Kildare. And I was immediately taken by his manner and his hospitality. And Drummond House had a wonderful atmosphere, and I felt every time I went there, I was stepping back in time. There was always a burning fire in the drawing room, and over the years, that's where we sat with his guests, late into the night, having long conversations. His fascination for history allowed me to record in great detail his family's history, and Grattan sadly passed away in August this year. And this interview starts with the history of the Grattans who built Drummond House. This house was originally a Grattan house. Yes. Now can you can you fill me in the history of, of um where did those Grattans come from?
1: Those Grattans came originally from Derbyshire and uh three brothers came over to Ireland uh, about 1700 and uh, they took long leases and the uh, immediate, uh, pre- well, not immediate, but the original uh, predecessor of this branch of the Grattons uh, took uh, long leases from the Wesley family, um, long leases of ...land around Carberry... ...the Wesley family of Dangan near Trim in County Meath... Uh, ...were in fact a junior branch of the Colley family... ...which was the big landowning family around Carberry... ...and so some of the original Colley land went to the Wesleys... ...and the Wesleys granted leases, long leases, renewable forever... Uh, to the original Grattan. Uh, The house was built by John Grattan. Uh, He started to build the house, uh, but he didn't finish it. It was finished by his son, his eldest surviving son, the Reverend William Grattan. The house is called Drummin, which really should be drum Ean which is the anglicisation of the Irish word for little ridge of a hill. And when John Grattan began uh, to build, he chose the site of an old ring fort which had a thorn tree growing in the middle of it. And his men flattened the site and began to dig the foundations. John Grattan was here one day watching the men at work, and an old woman emerged from uh, somewhere out of the bog, and she approached the site and went up to John Grattan. Uh, An aged crone is how his great-grandson describes her. And she said to him, she waved her horny finger at him, and she said, John Grattan, for desecrating this holy site, she meant, of course, holy to the fairies, for desecrating this holy site, your family shall be cursed. No eldest son of yours or any of your descendants, will live to inherit this place. So John Grattan, slightly taken aback, then began to laugh, this aged, poor peasant woman, full of superstition. John Grattan was a modern man, a child of the Enlightenment, so he thought it all a bit funny and somewhat sad, so he told his men to take the old woman away, which they did, and then they continued with the work. John Grattan now was building uh, a new house in the latest style, and he got his eldest son betrothed to a junior branch of the Cap- Kelly, uh, sorry, of the Colley family, and so. The uh, future bride, his future daughter-in-law, came from an old family, in fact the main old family of the area, of the district. And so he had achieved uh, what um, every 18th century uh, ambitious man wanted to do. He had made money... He had a business in the City of London, Um, he had premises uh, in Cheapside in the City of London. He made money and he had money to build a new modern house and he betrothed his eldest son to a daughter of the oldest and grandest family in the district. So he was well pleased. So, the wedding was set uh, for some months hence, and um, John Grattan continued uh, with his plans. Then, a couple of months later, his son got sick, and nothing much was thought about it. He went to bed, and uh, they waited for him to get better. But he didn't get better. He got worse. He got worse and got worse and more doctors came. John Grattan got the best doctors that there were but he continued to decline and in due course he died. John Grattan then remembered the old woman and he was sick at heart and he decided to have nothing more to do with Drummond and he made over Drummond to his second but now eldest surviving son the Reverend William Grattan who had entered the church because he had not expected to inherit anything so the church was going to be his career and he then was in a parish in Dublin. So he, the Reverend William Grattan, came back to Drummond and finished the building of the house. And so the house was completed uh, about 1750. The uh, deed transferring the land uh, from John Grattan to the Reverend William Grattan is dated in the 1740s. So the house was probably finished about 1750. But it looks a much later period because um, John Grattan's descendant, his great-grandson, Richard Grattan, when he was the owner of Drummond, decided when he was aged about 40 in 1730 to do over the whole house in the then latest style so unfortunately he took out all the joinery he changed everything and he raised the roof and uh, he uh, put in a rather good attic and so it now looks like a house of about 1830 but luckily that was early enough uh, for it to still remain attractive luckily it wasn't 30 years later Uh, so Richard Grattan who did the alterations lived to be a very old man he was born in January 1790 and he didn't die until May 1886 so he died aged 96. He'd been a boy of eight when the 1798 rebellion took place and according to himself his father whom he described as a violent loyalist was away with the army and he was left here In the care of a few maidservants. Some rebels came up to the house. They were led by a man on a great big black horse. And the maids were ordered to bring out young Richard. Onto the gravel. Which they did. And the boy was brought up to the man on the horse. And the man on the horse pointed his blunderbuss down at the boy and he said curse your father and Richard Grattan looked up at him eight years old he looked up at him straight in the eye and he said I won't the man was so impressed by this that he put away his blunderbuss and the
0: rebels rode off the house was left untouched. It's a fascinating story, uh, right up to that point. But um, the, the Grattons continued to live here until the end of the century. Yes. Uh, w- were they at any stage attacked by the agitators, the, um, the, the, the land league? Um, was there any animosity towards the family towards, as, as the century went on?
1: Uh, No, there wasn't, because um, Richard Gratton was initially a home ruler, um, and, um, uh, sorry, initially he was a repealer, and uh, then he became uh, a home ruler as the home rule movement uh, developed. Uh, So he was um, effectively a nationalist... Uh, But he was not a Republican, but uh, he was strongly in favour of Ireland having self-government again under the crown, uh, but Ireland having its own parliament as it had had up until the end of the 18th century. He actually was not related to Henry Grattan, although he had very much the same politics. He originally, I expect, was a Whig, became a repealer and then a home ruler. Um, And uh, so he was well-known Uh, for uh, having this uh, point of view uh, or or these politics and uh, he chaired um, meetings home rule meetings and um, on one occasion uh, the meeting which he chaired was reported in the newspapers and uh, some rather Uh, advanced speeches had been given at the meeting and the Lord Chancellor of Ireland, Maziar Brady, wrote to Grattan and asked him to explain why he had been the chairman of the meeting because Richard Grattan was a justice of the peace, a JP. And so Richard Grattan wrote back explaining in his own terms exactly why he was chairman of the meeting and uh, why it was a very good thing that he had chaired the meeting and why he intended to chair all other meetings which he was invited to do so, if he was invited to do so. So Mazaire Brady then wrote back to tell him that he was uh, immediately dismissed. Uh, from the bench from being a justice of the peace. So ever afterwards, Richard Grattan signed his name, Richard Grattan MDXJP XJP, because his profession was medicine. He was a doctor and uh, he practiced in Dublin. He lived in a house uh, in Hume Street. Um, sorry not Hume Street York Street a house in York Street which ran it no longer exists but it ran down along the side of the College of Surgeons and York Street was the Harley Street of Dublin and he had a house in York Street and in due course he became Senior Fellow of the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland. He wrote many books on medicine and uh, was very well known. He then retired uh, when he was still reasonably young. He retired from the profession and came back uh, to Drummond, uh, where he set about uh, making alterations and improving the place Generally, Um, he um, lived here then uh, for the rest of his life and um, was very active politically. When asked if he was any relation to the Great Grattan, he would say, I am the Great Grattan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When did the de Courcy Wheeler, your family, when when did they actually come in uh, to this house? Um,
1: my family arrived here in 1915 when Miss Anne Grattan, Richard Grattan's daughter and the last of the family, the Grattan family, to live here, died. She died in November 1915 and she left the place to my family. Grandfather, who was called Robert Cecil de Courcy Wheeler, known as Diamond, uh, a nickname he always had, uh, and no one really knows why he was called Diamond, but he always was. Luckily, he married um, he he married a girl with who had some money, um, not a lot, but she had some. Um, she came from Scotland. Uh, her um, father was called Robert Hunter Craig and he was a successful merchant in Glasgow and a liberal MP under Campbell Bannerman and lived in a mock castle uh, on the uh, sea in um, Ayrshire between Largs and and Weems Bay, and so she had uh, some money, and that made a crucial difference, because my grandfather had no money, he was the fifth son of his father, so he had was left hardly anything by his father, but luckily my grandmother not only had some money, but she was interested in farming and she took uh, a very definite personal interest in drumming, and effectively she funded the place, and therefore she uh, guaranteed its continuation. My grandfather, he his profession uh, was medicine. He really um, knew nothing about farming. He was very keen on shooting, and fishing uh, and he was a very good rugby player uh, but he knew very little in fact really nothing about farming but as I've said his wife my grandmother did take a very definite interest in farming and she had a wonderful herd of jersey cows uh, which um, won prizes at the RDS and uh, she was president of the Irish Jersey Society. Mm. She was also one of the first women in Ireland uh, to drive a car. And um, she was interested in politics uh, because, of course, her father had been an MP. My grandfather was not interested in politics, uh, but she was, and um she knew, among others, Maud Gone, who used to come to tea with her at Monkstown Castle, where they lived uh They lived there rather than here at Drummond. They used to come down to Drummond. My grandmother came down once a week, and uh they used to come here for weekends and for. Uh, short holidays.
0: When World War One broke out, Grattan's grandfather Robert Courcy Wheeler signed up, and here Grattan continues with an incredible story about an experience that his grandfather had while stationed in Malta during the war.
1: My grandfather was the fifth son, and he was he became a doctor because, as the fifth son. He didn't expect to inherit very much, um, and so he qualified as a doctor at uh, Trinity College, at Trinity College, Dublin. And when the war broke, up, broke out, he um, joined the RAMC, the Royal Army Medical Corps, and he was the chief medical officer at Malta he was in charge um, of all the medical side at at Malta. And um, there was um, a particular engagement between um, the um, British Navy and uh, the Germans. And um, the British Navy won that particular encounter and several German ships were sunk and uh, one of them one of the ships that was sunk one of the German ships that was sunk um, the commander of it was very badly wounded but he was he they managed to get him ashore and he was brought to the military hospital where my grandfather was the officer in charge and um, he was expected to die but amazingly he actually lived and he ascribed his survival uh, to uh, the skill of my grandfather and um, he gave him a present of a picture of his ship his ship which had been sunk and uh, inside the picture inside the glass he placed his iron cross which of course Um, was something that was very precious uh, to him, and he gave it to my grandfather. Can you recall
0: that German officer's name?
1: No, I can't, but the name is written on the picture, but I can't find the picture, but it nearly certainly is somewhere in the house.
0: And now the interview switches to Grattan's granduncle, whose name was Henry de Courcy Wheeler. He joined the army... He was stationed in the Curra when the Rising in Dublin broke out in 1916. His elder brother, uh, his uh,
1: brother Henry, or Harry, uh, was um, living at the uh, family home at Robertstown, Uh, but he was in the army and he was stationed on the Curra and when the rebellion broke out, he was appointed ADC to General Lowe, who was the general officer commanding the British forces in Ireland at the time. So he accompanied General Lowe uh, to all the surrenders, most importantly the uh, surrender of Pierce himself. Uh, when uh, my great-uncle Harry was standing beside General Lowe when General Lowe took Pierce's surrender. Um, Uncle Harry was then sent on his own uh, to take the surrender of the College of Surgeons, where the Countess Markievicz was the second in command. And she came out of the College of Surgeons and she handed over her pistol to my great-uncle, having reverently kissed it. And he asked her, would he? Would she like to travel in his car? And she said, no, I shall march at the head of my men. Uh, so, um...
0: Did they know
1: each other? Uh... His wife, Harry's wife, was a distant cousin of Countess Markievicz. Uh Harry's wife was a Knox from County Mayo, from Rapper Castle in County Mayo, and the Knoxes and the Gore were distantly related. Uh, so his wife was a very distant cousin of Countess Markovitch. Uh, later, after uh, after the rebellion, uh, when the um, War of Independence started, um, the house uh, was taken over as uh, a barracks um, because, of course, there was nobody other than a caretaker uh, living here. And so um, my... Uh, Grandmother, um, and I think my great-grandmother, her mother, uh, were able to make contact with Michael Collins, and he arranged that the house would be, um, would be vacated uh, by uh, the, uh, the garrison and that it would be handed back. And uh, my grandmother came down to receive the house back uh, from the commandant in charge, uh, who was a local man called Dempsey. And his son, uh, Lou Dempsey, Luke Dempsey, uh, a man now well into his 80s, lives uh, nearby um, a neighbouring farm, uh, which um, he inherited from his father, uh, who was the
0: commandant here at that time. If your grandmother was very friendly with Maud Gone and, mm-hmm. and used to have her over here for tea, mm-hmm. uh, she must have known Yeats, and you know that circle of of people at the time. Well,
1: she was political rather than literary. Uh, She wasn't literary. Um, uh, She wasn't an intellectual. Uh, She was interested in politics and um, she was interested in farming. Uh, Farming and politics. Um, And um, she was not an intellectual. Um, But... Um, my grandfather was not an intellectual either, but he was a friend of, for example, uh, Oliver St. John Gogarty, because Oliver St. John Gogarty's name appears on the list of guests at, in a press cutting uh, covering my um, grandparents' wedding, which took place um, at... Uh, her home at Knock Castle in Ayrshire. So Oliver St. John Gogarty travelled all that way to go to the wedding. They therefore must have been reasonably good friends. Uh, So he did know Gogarty.
0: And the politics side of it, uh, was she after the forming of the Free State, was she supportive of uh, the if the the say Michael Collins's uh, side. yes
1: uh, yes um, they accepted uh, the free state uh, my grandmother uh, took out an Irish passport um, so um, she accepted the free state and um, so did my grandfather my uncle my great uncle Harry the ADC, Uh, became uh, a good friend of Eamon de Valera because uh, my uncle, uh, my great-uncle Harry, was very interested uh, in developing the bogs, in extracting uh, peat out of the bogs, of getting that, of organising and mobilising that. And um, he... uh, got involved with de Valera uh, in that connection, and they became uh, uh, became friends. And de Valera said uh, he was very glad that he hadn't met Harry until uh, after the treaty, because if he'd met him in 1916, he would no longer be alive, because, of course... All the people uh, whom Harry saw surrender were executed with the exception, the obvious exception, of Countess Markievich. Uh And I think, and the man who was um, in charge of the College of Surgeons, and I can't remember who that was, um, Countess Markovich was second in command. She was that, not
0: executed. And, yes, that would... Uh... Michael
1: Mallon, yes, Michael Mallon, yes, he was in charge and and
0: Countess Markovich, uh was his second in command and oh that's most interesting and uh, did De Valera make that comment
1: yes, De Valera made that comment and he um, he um, uh, he, um uh, he did and uh uh, one of the more distinguished members of the extended family in more recent times was John de Courcy Arland. And John de Courcy Arland, who was um, a maritime expert, an ex- expert in all things maritime, and was very distinguished in his field, uh, was invited. Um, to one of the general receptions uh, up in the park, uh, which were given from time to time uh, for uh, people in different walks of life. And he was uh, invited to one general reception at which there was a large number of people. And de Valera was president, and he was very old. And he was present at the reception he was the the host at the reception, and uh there were various people in the room sort of organizing things and John de Courcy Allen told me that he suddenly felt himself propelled uh into the presence of the great man and uh the uh the, the minder, the steward, whatever you like to call him. Uh, said to the present president, "This is Doctor John De Courcy Ireland," and the president didn't catch the name, so it was repeated, and the president then paused, and there was a pause, and then he said, "Are you any relation to the De Courcy Wheelers?" So he remembered the connection, even as a very old man
0: later on, the 1930s and it came to the um, the economic war. Mm -hmm. Now de Valera uh, was in power at that stage and it was your grandmother if she took such an interest in farming she may not have liked uh, what decisions he made.
1: Yes um, uh, my grandparents um uh, did um, uh, not um, approve of de Valera's actions um, in the uh, as far as the um, the economic war was concerned. Um, they uh, thought that that was wrong. Um, they thought that the uh, British government, had financed all those purchases under the old British Land Acts and so uh, they were due the money. The land annuities uh, were effectively paying back the British government for long-term mortgages which they had granted in the first place to fund the transfer of land uh, on a very large scale from the landlord's Uh, to the tenants. Uh, And so they felt that it was uh, unjust, and, uh, of course, they also understood, and my grandmother particularly well understood the effect that it had on the farming community, which was, in many cases, disastrous.
0: The Corsi-Wheeler family, were they staunch... um...
1: They were utterly loyal to the crown, but they were home rulers. They were home rulers loyal to the crown.
0: And was there ever an issue uh, about um, family um, uh, threats or or, 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 uh, animosity there towards them because of the part that his brother took in
1: 1916? No, um, no, there, there wasn't um uh his brother's part was um in, entirely honorable and um uh when he gave evidence at the trials um he was very fair and he was recognized as being very fair he was um strongly against uh the uh the executions um uh, because um, he recognized uh, what that uh, what the executions would lead to, um, he recognized what the effect would be, and um, so he was strongly against them, but of course he was a very junior person. he was only a captain uh, a d c to general Lowe, and um, of course um, general Lowe. Um, himself uh, uh, was uh, not in high favour because he was um, uh, the general officer commanding the Dublin district when the uh, rising took place. So it took place on his General Lowe's watch. So, of course, General Lowe um, uh, was no longer in great favour. And, of course, the person who mattered then was General Maxwell, who was sent over to take command. And uh, General Maxwell uh, was um, uh, a ruthless man with no
0: imagination, and um, the rest is history. And do you think this photograph was taken uh, sometime in the 1920s? Uh, ta-
1: it, no, it would have been taken before the war, before yes. the Great War. But I haven't got him in military kit. Yeah. I've only got that.
0: And he, he's—he
1: was very—he very, was a very good horseman, mm-hmm. a, a brilliant horseman, and um, a very—he was very active in uh, the following following the hounds.
0: When World War Two broke out, mm-hmm. uh, did uh, Harry? Where was he? In he was
1: simply living. Um, Uh, By the time of the war, he was living in Fox Rock. Robertstown had been sold. Harry uh, went bust uh, because um, he uh, had no idea uh, how to manage in business. Uh, And um, he spent money like water. And... um, he was called to the bar, to the Irish bar in Dublin, uh, and he could have practised uh, as a barrister, but he never bothered to do so, and he probably would have been very successful as a barrister because he was very, very bright. Um, he beat the Gwins, uh in competition, in academic competition at Trinity, uh so he was um one of the best brains of his generation of undergraduates so he would have done very well if he'd gone to the bar he didn't bother to do so
0: and now we move to the next generation and grattan starts talking about his father cecil so uh, your father uh he, he can you tell me a little bit about his education and his Uh, what he went on to do.
1: Yeah. At um, Trinity College, Dublin, he studied commerce because at that stage it was intended that he would enter his mother's family's family business in Glasgow. Uh, But he wanted to be a farmer... And uh, my grandmother, with her own interest in farming, uh, agreed with his wish. And uh, he was then sent uh, to a very well-known farmer called Lancelot Smith, uh, who farmed in North County Dublin, Lancelot or Lance Smith. And uh, he stayed there and learnt farming with Lance Smith. Uh, on the job as it were and then he came down to drummond and my grandfather made drummond over to him uh, and so he then started to farm at drummond he bought some more land because nearly all the land had been taken off my grandfather by the land commissioners um by under compulsory purchase orders and so there was um only about 200 acres left
0: how much land was there originally
1: originally there was about 2000 acres uh
0: before the land acts um and did that uh was that uh disappointing or was it something that your father uh, could have handled, or did he see that the 200 acres was sufficient? Or um,
1: He um, felt that the farm increased by him by purchasing an adjacent farm. It ended up at about 400 acres, and um, he felt that he could make his living uh, by farming actively. Uh, the 400 acres and he proceeded to go about that.
0: Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast The Remarkable History of Drummond House told by Grattan de Courcy Wheeler. If you enjoyed listening to this interview and you would like to hear more from the story of the de Courcy Wheelers uh, you can find them on our website because I have four or five recordings made relating to the de Courcy Wheeler family. And that's www.irishlifeandlore.com. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward again to your company next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.